Well, thank you, Lynn. And uh, to all the team that was up here, I, so I came in this morning. I didn't have to show up till 9.30-ish. Team had been here since 8. You know, they hooked up with a mic. We went and had some prayer, and, and then I just get to talk for a while. Or they were uh, scrambling around this morning. I guess there were computer problems and sound issues, and, uh, you know, it just made me thankful for all the people who are contributing. Right now we have people with your kids running around them upstairs or wherever they are and, uh, and trying to bless them in, in God's name, which is difficult, you know, for kids who won't hold still uh, to do that. So it, it just, uh, you know, reflect, remember, you know, all the, sometimes I know I'm the, I'm the same. We, we have trouble getting here for 10 o'clock usually. Uh, and you remember that there are other people who are prepping well before that. And, uh, and I was also glad to see the, the two singers here having a little bit of fun. Uh, didn't let, you know, the stress, because we're here, we're here as a family. We're here gathering in, in God's name. It doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, we want to enjoy each other's time and presence, and, and as we do that, that takes a load off. Uh, well, this morning, I'm uh, going to be sharing my own journey with God as a burn. I'm not sure what the word is, survivor or victim or whatever. I'm never sure how to, to phrase that. I guess it depends on what my goal is at the end. What, you do that to a burn victim, I might say to someone if I wanted to get my own way? Not really. But I, I'm happy to make fun of myself, and you'll learn that about me. Um, let, me let me just say something first about my name so you know who I am. I know it's a difficult name. Kyra uh, was pronounced correctly. It sounds like tire with a K, I tell people. If I'm feeling really feeling my oats, I say it sounds like fire with a K. Uh, you know, because I was burned in a fire, but I'm okay now, so Kyer, you know, whatever. Um, last name's a little trickier as well, and they, they both look incorrect. Uh, it was correct on the slide there this morning. It's K-E-I-R. So then you look at that and you think, that looks like the Welsh Keir. Um, there's a whole story behind it. I'm not telling that story today, the story of my name. Uh, that would take away all of our other time. Uh, but my parents claim it's got a German pronunciation. They claim they encountered it when they were traveling. It was a, they said it was a long word, and they just liked the sound of it, so they took the first four letters. So if you have German background, you know that an E-I, contrary to English, in German, E-I makes a long I sound, so Kair. Anyhow, that's the lesson on that. My last name we'll work on. Uh, my parents also liked the German pronunciation of it, so they went with Hammer rather than Hammer although it looks like Hammer, and that's how we, uh, most even German speakers who have that name, they call themselves Hammer, but I was passed on a Hammer name. Um, so what I tell people with that is it's more like, you know, when you go to the doctor, he says open wide, or she says open wide, and say, ah, Hammer. It's much more refined than the American Hammer, Hammer, <laughs> right? You know, we don't want to hear that. We're Canadians, or most of us are, hopefully. I'm both, so I can make fun of both sides. Uh, I've got dual citizenship. So it, it's, it's Homer. I, you know, I, I respond to almost anything, and, and I'm not chastising anyone for mispronouncing it. I just, I, I'm just happy people recognize that I have a name or something. Uh, but I've been, you know, people said, you know, for six months I've been calling you X, and you haven't corrected me. Um, so if, if you've been mispronouncing it, there's the correction. Now you're going to be afraid to say it. But uh, hey, you, I also respond to as well. Uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to frame a little bit what I'm going to say based on um, 
uh, based on all of our lives. It's always, what's difficult for me, I don't have trouble speaking per se, although, I, you know, again, I'm not, I, I don't have a chance to share. I don't have enough time to share all components of my journey. Uh, but when I began, uh, I, I like the back stuff. I like to, not just in the sound booth, I want to be back there. I'd work with kids' ministry or do whatever. Just don't stick me up front. In fact, that was my motto when I went to do a pastoral internship. Uh, but that's a whole other story. You know, I was going to, I went with someone. I was going to work with him and under him. I was never wanted to be the front runner. And that's just not how uh, the direction that God took it. Um, so what I struggle with in sharing my own story is, like, what does it mean for you? What does it do for you? I can talk all day about myself as each one of us can. You know, tell me about yourself. Oh, well, let me tell you. Um, but, you know, I struggle with, uh, you know, what, what can you get out of it? So I wanted to start this morning just by framing a little bit because uh, each of us is on our own journey, and, and sometimes I express it to people this way. I mean, I have outward scars, and they're visible to people, and so that makes, I guess, my story more unique. But a lot of us carry scars that are perhaps deeper, but you don't see them, uh, and we struggle with those. And, and, you know, if my story helps in that way, that's good. And in the end, what makes me able to share is because is I really haven't done anything to come to where I'm at. It's all been through God, uh, and you'll hear about that. So, but we're each on our own journey. Uh, we're on our journeys separately. We each have to face uh, our own struggles, despite people around us. Ultimately, we have to face, uh, you know, our own inner demons, as it were. There are different expressions for that. And we're also on a journey together as a, as a group of Christ followers. Um, and so, I want to ask a question this morning to start us off, and, and that is, what does it take to follow God? What does it take to follow God? Uh, no, I'm not going to give a sermon on, you know, following and what's the Greek word for that in, in the Gospel of Mark and how does that work. Although that's a very interesting study and sometime I'd like to do that with you. Uh, but the answer for me is to what does it take to follow God is nothing and everything. Now, you don't have to really do anything to follow God. It's not up to you. I've got to work really hard to follow. You just, you just have to follow God. It, it just, it's, you know, he takes the lead and uh, you're a follower. Uh, but it's everything. It, it's, it's all of you. You've got to give all yourself. And that's been my experience in my journey. What does that mean when you give all yourself? What does it take? And, and how, does that, how does that work in transforming your life? Um, so you don't have to bring anything special. In fact, when you read the stories in the Bible, it seems like God picks the people who aren't special. Uh, because then you see Him working much, much more clearly than those who claim to be special. Uh, and again, there are, there are multiple stories in, in, in Scripture that remind us uh, of that. So you don't have to bring any. In fact, if you're not special, you're perhaps in a better, better spot. Um, but you, you do have to bring everything you are in the end. But that's a process. You don't have to do it all at once. Uh, and you, again, you'll hear that in, in, in my story as well. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, this whole idea of giving all of yourself, you can call it total commitment or whatever you want. Total commitment is not bad for here because you got Twilliger community and twi total commitment both, you know, TC, you know. So we're the TCC, total commitment church, right? We're TCC. Um, but doing that is often perceived as bad, right? Um, it's often, you, you know, the, the perception is we incorrectly understand that we have to give up everything. To, to totally commit means you've got to give up everything that you like and you've got to do everything you don't like. And you do hear stories, you know, like that. Uh, and I kind of alluded to something earlier, you know, just today about how my own journey was, well, I don't want to be in the front. I, I like, 
No, I like helping out. Just let me, just let me help in the background. Um, but as I said, God, God brings us uh, through that. But the perception is that's bad. You know, it's bad. Total commitment means giving up. I'm not quite ready. I, I want to I have some fun first. And then I'll, then I'll commit. Uh, and that's not how it works. That's a complete misperception of, of what we're talking about here. I find, and I have found, that when you totally commit to God, you have the opportunity to develop into the best you possible. So everything that you are and that you like, maximized. Uh, God doesn't take away the things. Often the things we like are things that can be improved upon and we can use those to touch other lives and to reach others. So in, in, in many ways, doing so, uh, you become more yourself than you are when you're trying to hang on and, and, and just keep things together. And uh, I just want to enjoy a few things in life. I don't want to give it all to God and then not have anything. Uh, you become perhaps a purer or a better you. There are different ways you might phrase that. Uh, and then just a couple comments. In our world, and this is where, you know, my own story, I want you to think about this. That's why I'm leading with this. This is the first time that I've ever done this before. Uh, but in our world, we're so often driven by perceptions of what we're supposed to be, of what looks good, of what, you know, what is successful. Uh, and we're all cultured creatures. Humans are that, you know. Uh, society creates certain ideals. Unfortunately, I think there, there are some things in our society that are skewed. And what that does is then it, it skews inwardly how we perceive ourselves, what's beautiful, uh, you know. What, what does it mean to look good? And, and unfortunately... Uh, Everyone falls short of the ideal, and so then we all struggle inwardly with, I'm not adequate, I'm not good enough because of this or because of that, and we all know the reasons why, and you just feel inadequate inside. Um, and unfortunately, when you do that, uh, you're, you're really never able to let go. You're just always caught up on, on, on those things of yourself, and, uh, and I'm the same and, and have been the same. Um, and ultimately, that's kind of self-focus stops us from being able to truly commit to God, to love God fully, and to love others uh, as, as we are designed to do. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that, that Jesus' statement that in order to save our life, we have to lose it, is true. But again, we, we, we skew that and we think, oh, that means you've got to die if you want to go to heaven. You know, that, that sort of interpretation. Right? You've got to give up everything and then you know, you'll get something later on down the road. And that's not it. It's about fullness of life here and now, but you got to let go uh, before anything comes. And I'm not, I, I, I am preaching to you, uh, but I'm talking about my own journey and what I've found. Whether it resonates with you or not, uh, I, I can't say, but let me uh, share some things about that. Um, as I start talking about myself, uh, I want to, to start by talking honestly, because you know, often we, and Christians have more of a tendency to do this than, than many other people. We want to sort of gloss or make everything nice and shiny and, and, and good. So let's be real about uh, this person who's standing before you in terms of the measures of the world. Um, you know, in terms of the eyes of the world. Uh, well, first of all, I'm burned, and that's obvious, right? And, and so that kind of deformity in the world's eyes, it's, it's not good. No one goes, oh, I'd, I'd really like to be burned too. Uh, you know, because I'd like to be like you. I haven't ever heard anyone say that to me uh, before, and I'm aware of it, right? I'm aware that, that uh, it's startling for people, it's disconcerting for others. Some people can move past it quickly, others can't. I'm aware of it. It's, it's a physical uh, reality of, of myself, and so I know that every time I, you know, walk by people I, I don't know, they're gonna, they might stop and stare. Their kids are definitely going to stop and stare and point and say, Mommy, Daddy, what's wrong with him? And then they're going, shh. 
And I, I don't mind. I mean, I, if I could, if I knew it would help, I'd get down, you know, kneel down and talk to them. And, but sometimes that scares them more because I've tried it. Uh, so, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that every day. I, you know, I wake up, I don't wake up in the morning and think and look in the mirror and go, oh my God, I'm burned. Uh, what am I going to do today, right? So, I'm, you know, you need to understand. It's not like I, I live as if I'm not and I don't think I am and I don't notice. You know, you can, you can do that. And I did. That's kind of how I lived. I, you tune out the world and then you cope a little bit better. That's, that's originally how I, I cope with it. And so you're not even aware people are staring because you don't, you, don't, you don't notice anymore. You, you mentally, your brain shuts that off to protect you from uh, what you'll feel, the pain that you will feel inside. If that's not enough, you know, I'm bald, you know, the two Bs or whatever. Uh, and everyone goes, oh, it's bald, you know, bald's beautiful and all this sort of, and we have all these slogans in our society and I see some, some counterparts in the audience who can resonate with me. Uh, but, but you all know how our society views it. You know, we, we, you know, they'll say bald is beautiful, but they're really going, to, he's bald, look at that. You know, and, uh, uh, and that's fine. You know, some say they don't, they don't care. I was reading a book the other day, um, and it, it was interesting that, that in, in, the, in, this, in this account, the person is saying, well, thank God I didn't pass on any horrible things to my children like male pattern baldness or uh, testicular cancer or susceptibility to it. And I thought, oh, that's nice. You know, so we're kind of like, you know, cancer people, but not in a good way. At least cancer, uh, you know, uh, people recognize that you're going through a struggle where if you're bald, they're just like, why'd you lose all your hair? Well, I didn't choose to. I used to have a nice thick head of hair and I really liked it. Um, you know, when you get people with thick heads of hair, they'll go, yeah, oh, yeah, I know, I know. But look at me as if somehow you can keep your hair or not keep your hair by some willpower. Um, you know, and I'm not sure if that's just you know a natural process or if God said, oh, I think he needs to be bald too to make sure he doesn't get, uh, you know, so he's clear of who's who's leading the way on this. Um, uh, you know, and, and I could could go on, but you, you get the idea. I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm very self-aware. I know who I am. I know how I'm perceived by society. So how do I function? Uh, well, I don't. I mean, and and you'll understand that. So um, let's let's track back. Years and years ago, the, the burns that I had were, were many years ago. Uh, I won't say the year anymore because now it's starting to sound like a long time ago and people tune out when they hear dates that go back too far. Oh, that's a long time ago. This is going to be an old story. Um, well, I'm still journeying now. And unfortunately, we don't have enough time today for you to me to talk, walk you through all of the journey. Um, but trust me, this is still ongoing. I'm still learning and growing and developing with God in different ways. Um, but when I was seven, uh, there was a May long weekend. Uh, my sister and two of her friends, and she was two years older than me, wanted to. Get, they were going to sleep over in the neighbor's yard in a tent. Uh, and my brother and I weren't allowed to, to join them because it was her and her two friends. But around 10 o'clock at night, uh, they relinquished, and uh, we were actually, uh, you know, sleeping in our backyard uh, under the stars because we, my mom, you know, we kept. Why can't we sleep outside too? She can, you know, and you know what that's like as a parent if you have kids. So she just figured, you know, it was, a, it was supposed to be a beautiful night. It was going to be warm. We had sleeping bags. So, but they invited us in uh, around 10, 10.30. And we, had to, we ran upstairs and woke our mom up. She just was just falling asleep. Can we go outside? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. You can go sleep. Or not outside. Can we go in the tent? They said we can. She said, sure, that's fine. And then sometime during the night, probably 2 or 3 in the morning, uh, somebody tossed some firecrackers in, outside the tent, intending to scare us. 
uh, and what happened, what, you know, the, and we don't, we don't know what happened because there was no video camera crew there at that point in time, uh, you know, documenting this for us. Uh, but the tent caught on fire as a result of that. Now, there's a whole series of stuff that, misconceptions that, that surround that. A uh, friend and I were, he was looking up, he was asking me some questions about my own experience, and so he was doing some, uh, some searching, uh, not Googling, searching. Uh, Googling is not a, not a verb. Well, actually, it is because we use it that way. He did some searching using Google um, as a search engine. Uh, and he said, oh, well, it says here that you guys were playing with uh, matches and that you were, and some of you were trying to smoke, and that's why the, the you know, the fire started. Um, so read the, you know, and sure enough, in fact, some, some newspapers had picked up that story and, 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 and promoted that. But it was firecrackers. Uh, my brother actually has written a book on this. Uh, it's called uh, From Out of the Flames, if any of you are interested. It's his story, not me, but I'm in it, uh, on the periphery. Um, but, uh, you know, he talks about, you know, the journey and, and uh, dealing with, with some of this. Not in the same way that I do, but, but you know, in his own way. It's his story, not, not mine at that point. Um, but he researched it, and I actually have copies of there were, there were lawsuits that went on against the tent company and against the, uh, the firecracking company, not for us, but to make the world a better place, supposedly. One of my friends says not so, uh, and that's because of the firecrackers. There was a firecracker ban in Alberta, and I, I, I don't currently know whether it is, but I know for years after this, you could not purchase firecrackers in Alberta uh, because of this. My friend said, oh, I remember that. That's why I couldn't buy firecrackers, because of you. Uh, so it was a bad thing in his mind, uh, but that was one of the things was was the, the banning of firecrackers in Alberta. Um, the other was uh, fire retardation on tents because the tent went up uh, very quickly. Uh, in fact, it went up so quickly that one of the girls woke up either to the people outside making noise or to the firecrackers, and uh, you know, just as the tent caught on fire, she got out, and even then she got some burns on her legs, uh, and she was screaming, and her dad had actually awakened up just thinking something's not right. And he came running out. So it all had happened fairly quickly. I mean, within 30 seconds, probably, he was outside and the tent was already um, completely engulfed in flames. And, uh, you know, you think about, uh, and I kind of get choked up with this because, you know, I was a kid, I didn't know what was going on. But he's a, he's a, he waited in there uh, and reached in <clears throat> and grabbed my brother and I. And he didn't know what he was grabbing. He just reached in. And he got burns on his hands and um, burns on his feet. In fact, uh, my, my brother's a friend of, of uh, uh, close friend still with a girl whose backyard we were in. <clears throat> and he had problems with his feet for the rest of his life because they couldn't, you know, you, you sweat a lot out of your feet and it helps keep you cool and moderate temperature. And, uh, um, you know, but he just, he didn't think. He just stepped in there. And, and pulled this out. Now, from my perspective, I remember waking up. I remember being really hot and in pain and, uh, and seeing flames. <clears throat> Next thing I knew, I was flying through the air and landed on the gravel of the, uh, uh, of the, um, not, the, the um, not the road, but behind the house, whatever you call it, alley, alleyway. Uh, I'm, I'm letting my emotions get, get caught up with me. Because, uh, you know, what the man did still touches me. Um, Today, all I remember is I, you know, hit the gravel, and so I jumped up and thought, i got to get home. So I'm running around outside our fence to go in the back fence, and I kept falling down, and I'd get up and run and fall down. And it turned out I wasn't falling down. He was, the guy was chasing me, trying to put my, my pajamas were burning. So he was trying to put those out. 
And, um, but I didn't know that. I mean, I, I hear the story afterwards. I thought I rang the front doorbell. Apparently he did, or the back doorbell. Uh, you know, as he tells a story, uh, you know, I was trying to push the button, but my skin was falling off. <clears throat> so he pushed the door for me. And, you know, part of what I'm thinking there, too, is I'm, I'm, as you get older, you, you think about other people, right? And so I, as I'm thinking this, I'm already thinking of my mom coming down the stairs um, facing this, right? So uh, my brother was five. He was much more seriously burned than I was. Um, I was seven. My, my sister was nine. <clears throat> and my sister and her friend died in the fire. Um, <clears throat> But for my mother, you know, I, I, as, a, as a parent, especially when my kids were little and you think about this, what the, the guilt she felt for saying, oh, sure, you can sleep in the, in the tent. Uh, you know, if only I hadn't said that. Uh, I don't know what went on in her mind because she doesn't like to talk about it uh, very much. Um, but, the, the, you know, the struggles of parent. So all I know is she, she leapt the fence that was there. I didn't know my mom could leap that high. <laughs> and, um, you know... All it was, it was a burned-out shell of the tent at that point, and my sister was curled up in the, what had been the corner. She tried to crawl out, but went the wrong direction. <clears throat> um, so when I try and think about my mom's journey, and, and, and I'm not sharing that here, but I, I want us to think a little bit about that. You know, again, I, I feel it. I feel it more because for me, that stuff, there was pain, absolutely. But the emotional stuff is when I think about, you know, the man who pulled us out, or my mom coming down the stairs, and what's that like to, to have to face that as an adult, and what thoughts went through, you know, to sacrifice yourself, or to struggle with your kids, you know, uh, two of them are severely burned, and the other one is dead, you know, and, and just like that. <clears throat> um, we had great neighbors in the area, uh, I don't know what, I don't know all the details, I know the ambulance took too long to come there, so we actually were put in the back of our uh, of the station wagon of our neighbors, and he drove us to the St. Albert Hospital. <clears throat> um, my brother was so badly burned that they just thought he wasn't going to survive. So we actually, you know, gave him pain meds and put him in a room to just sort of let him pass away quietly. And uh, um, they took me into the Royal Alec um, to, try, to try and deal with... Uh, you know, to try and begin to deal with, with uh, the burns, etc. I mean, initially, if you know anything about burns, they, they can't do a lot initially. They give you pain meds, and they try and keep you alive, you know. And in term, there are a whole number of, of issues that can, it can go on with uh, on that, that front. Um, but he was, he was just so bad that they just initially left him, and he was still alive in the morning. And they thought, well, we can't just leave him then. we got to do something. They didn't know what to do. And... Uh, uh, you know, again, his story, which is, is in his own book, is a journey of, of that. I mean, he lost his hands, he lost his fingers, um, and yet he's, he, you know, he's gone through his, his own uh, journey in that, in that respect. Um, it's a lot I could talk about for the hospital years, uh, you know, roast you out about things, make you feel pain. wasn't enjoyable. Uh, the burn unit that's now at the uh, University Hospital came as a result of us. We were the first real major burn victims in the area. They didn't know how to treat us. They didn't have a, a children's ward, much less a burn ward, uh, to put us on. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, most did the best that they could. There were some who didn't know how to deal with things, and they were impatient. And unfortunately, as a 7-year-old, 8-year-old, I had operations all the way for the next five years up until when I was 12. <clears throat> major ones all the way through. Um, you know, there are people who have rough days and 
And I'm probably not the easiest person to I'm just sort of a whiner, I suppose. And, you know, I'm burned, it hurts, ow. Uh, I'm making fun of myself there, not anyone else. But um, you know, so there was tough stuff. I mean, they had to scrape the dead skin off. That's the first thing you do before you can uh, you can do any any um, operations, which of course are as painful because they take skin off the parts that aren't burned, and then it feels like it's burned, uh, and they have to put that on. Uh, you know, so there was there was a lot of experience there. So I mean, uh, I went through emotional pain of that. My sister had died. I remember that was a very difficult. For me, uh, even as a seven-year-old, I comprehended that. Um, I'd have dreams where she'd be back and I'd feel happy again. Um, you know, and then you wake up and she's not there. So a lot of emotional uh, struggle that I went through facing this. There was a lot of physical pain um, going through that at the hospital. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll add this in. I'm, I, my ums are I'm trying to think of what what to say and what, what not to cover. You, you get the idea. But I, I ran into... a the other day, you know, I, most of you know I, I work, I, I'm the director of White Cross now, and I ran into one of the volunteers uh, a while back, uh, and it turns out she's an OR nurse, um, and she actually was an OR nurse uh, when my brother and I came into the Royal Alec, or, you know, we were both treated there, that's where they did most of the treatments, <coughs> and uh, it was interesting, you know, hearing her, she, she obviously struggled with it as well. And she said, oh, you guys were, it was horrible. She said, we didn't know whether to keep working on you or to quit, um, you know, at different times, because apparently it was very difficult for them, and they weren't, they weren't sure what to do. And, and uh, I know as my, when my brother did his research, I found out that I, I died a couple times and had to be brought back. He had died, you know. So at some point they probably said, do we put the paddles on? I mean, he's suffering, uh, or do we just let it, let it be? I said to her, Thank you for <laughs> keeping me alive. <coughs> so, uh, you know, blah, 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 lots of pain in the hospital. Um, <clears throat> that really, I mean, that, that stuff, that's, that's things you, you, you learn to deal with in, in other ways. Um, for me... Moving from that back, uh, initially I did it two years in the Glen Rose School Hospital. I don't know if they still do. I don't think they do. But they used to have a school that, you, you know, people who were being treated at the Royal Alec, you could go across, and when you were able to, you could do some classes, and then you would be back. Um, and so I was there for, for two years uh, at school, and then I went, was uh, put back into the regular school system. And, and again, the perspective is that of a, of a young child. And so I didn't see all the things that were there. A lot of people, I'm sure, who were very nice to me. Um, but there were those who weren't. And uh, what you remember and what sticks are the ones who weren't so nice and, and those kind of things. And so, you know, again, more emotional um, emotional pain being put on that. And, and during that time, we were, we're, you know, so over a number of years, um, I just, uh, I, I gradually learned in different ways to shut down, although I wasn't aware of it. I didn't realize that till later, and, and I'll come back to that. Uh, now, during all this time, we weren't uh, followers of, of, of Christ, um, but my mom began searching at that point in time. She had kind of left the church years before. Her dad had been a, a, a pastor, and she wanted nothing to do with, with that sort of stuff, right? Um, and she, was, she began to search, and in that search, she found uh, a, a God who was real, not just something that people made up or uh, used to try and control you. Um, and so, you know, again, uh, through the process at the age of 12, I, I uh, 
prayed the sinner's prayer and, and began my own journey with, with God uh, and as a follower of Jesus. Um, and again, a lot of this is, is looking back as I'm, as I'm reflecting on it, because at the time I wasn't aware of it, but, but looking back, I mean, I was a, there was a lot of anger and pain inside me. I would fight at the snap of a finger at the drop of a hat. You just try and say something to me. You even give me a look that's kind of, uh, I interpret to say, oh, you know, something about me. Oh, I'm just, you know, and that anger welled up in me. And I got into fights all the time and I got into trouble all the time. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, it was, it was pre- and correctly so, they, they recognized that because of the burns and my scars, I, you know, had these issues. And, um, but what's interesting looking back is when I think about it now, I wasn't even aware of it. I wasn't aware of it for years, probably not until my 30s. And I started thinking, I went, wait a minute. After I started that journey, the fighting stopped. I don't know where that anger went to, but it wasn't there. Uh, you know, and I look back and go, oh, that's right. You know, fight, fight, fight. Pray a prayer to God. No fighting. Hmm. Uh, so God does transform us in immediate ways at, at times. Um, but at the same time, God, God also transforms us uh, the, some transformation takes time. In fact, most transformation takes time. And maybe, you know, what God did was sort of temporarily help me with the anger until I could deal with it myself. That might be another way of seeing it. Uh, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not going to try and, and, and analyze it. Uh, but let me, let me jump forward and, uh, and tell you uh, sort of one more uh, story that, that helps solidify um, where I was at and then... And then how God began transforming this this uh, angry, pain-ridden uh, person. By the time I'd hit high school, I, I'd pretty much shut down. I, I mean, I I talked to people, I could say hello and stuff, but I just I, I lived in my own little world, and I, there's no other way to explain. It. I tuned out the rest of the world. There were people who tried to befriend me, and people that I was friends with. It was mostly on their side because I didn't know how to connect with people emotionally. Um, Again, I don't know how much that was perceived from the outside, but from the inside, it was very clear. I was just tuned out uh, and shut off. And that's a, that's a great protective measure that, that you do when, you, when you've gone through difficult struggles. And sometimes we need as humans to do it for a period of time, perhaps, to get through things. But ultimately, to become full, meaningful humans, we have to move past that. Um, and that's where the other story uh, comes in. So I, I went to Bible college after high school. Um, it was interesting. I was, a, I was a, a math science major. Loved the stuff. And then I went doing this artsy-fartsy Bible college stuff. And, you know, and I had a pretty good mind. So I, I got what they were saying three minutes into a lecture. So I started making up, you know, calculus problems and solving them just to entertain myself during class. You know, and I'd still get 100% on the test because that stuff's easy. You should do, do some, you know. Um, Anyhow, that, that, you know, that, that's, uh, again, there are all these components to the journey that I, I won't have time to talk about in, in, at this point in time. Perhaps in the future we'll have a chance to walk through some of that. Uh, but second year came back, you know, again, I was just going to go for one year, and then God prompted me that he wanted me there for a second year. And, and during that second year, um, there was a girl that I liked. Now, I'd liked girls before. It wasn't that I was tuned out. I wasn't that. I wasn't dead yet. I was just shut off from the world. But you don't ever tell anybody. When you're, too, when you're shut off from the world, you don't tell people that sort of stuff. Because I tried that when I was, was young. And, uh, you know, the pain that I experienced as a result of that from others, not just not necessarily from that person, but the pain. And, you, you know, you all go through it. But for me, it was uh, increased. Uh, it was 
magnified at multiple times, uh, and maybe that was all in my own head, right? But that's, that's the reality. That was my perception of these things. So it was a girl I liked, and at this point, God was beginning to work in my life in such a way to encourage me to begin to open up and begin to, to develop as a, as a person. And it, it's just in simple ways. Again, as a follower of God, it wasn't, all he asked me to do in that case was to be honest with her because I, you know, I, I cared about her and I just, you know, I thought, oh, I can't, I'm not going to say anything to anybody. Forget it. And it was just this prompt, you know, you, you have to, you, you know, whatever, whatever the result, you can't deal with it. You have to be true to yourself and you have to be fair to her. Um, and you, you, you just got to be honest. Whatever happens, happens. Right? And so I did. Uh, and I, I, this wasn't perce- perceived by me. And she responded that she liked me too, which was astounding to me. And I, I say that, and I, I hope my earlier stuff clarifies that. I mean, I'm very cognizant of, of, of things, but in the shutdown mode, um, I, I wasn't. I was, I was tuned out. I, I really, truly, at the very depth of my being, believed I was unlovable. I didn't go, oh, she's not going to I just knew it, right? So when she said she did, you know, I felt great on one level. On the other level, you know, you knew it wasn't real. You knew there was something here. You're waiting for, uh, you know, the joke to, uh, to, be, to, to happen later on once they've had their fun with you. Um, and again, that's not on, a, on this level where I'm just thinking it. it. It's, you know, as we say at the heart level, it's, it's still all happening in your brain. I know that. I understand. Um, but... At a, at a deep level of knowing who you are, I knew I was simply an unlovable person. Um, and that was fine. I, you know, I didn't, uh, but how do you deal with these feelings and how do you interact with people? That's what God was, was uh, working me through. So, I mean, that was great. I mean, we were, we were sort of a couple and uh, obviously enough so that her parents came down one weekend having heard of that she was uh, seeing someone at, at, at college and uh, you know, they met, you know, they met me and, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Then they left. And then afterwards, the next week, she said, we have to talk. I said, okay. So we went for this walk. And on it, she said, okay, um, this is going to be difficult. But, you know, I, my dad talked to me. And he said that we can't see each other anymore. Um, and, and uh, you know, I pushed her on it. She said, well, he said I can do better than you. Um, so now that went right to the core of uh, someone who was trying to open up trying to learn what vulnerability is and being real with people, it, it broke me right to the core. And the first thing and the only thing I wanted to do was shut down, right? Close it back up because it's safe. You protect your heart. You put some around it. You don't have to face You don't feel the pain in that same way. Oh, it's still there. It comes out in all kinds of weird ways. Uh, but you don't feel it. And that's what I wanted to do. And again, the, you know, the, the gentle, quiet voice of God was prompting me, don't. You know, don't shut down. Just keep reaching out to people. Keep trying to be real. Keep growing. And, uh, you know, I'd love to say that, you know, I said, okay, God. And then I went to bed that night. When I woke up the next morning, I felt so much better. But it was years, years of um, walking and, and crying and talking to God. And, and that's what prayer is. Prayer is just talking with God. Oftentimes we make it this, you know, again, i got to commit to God. And I'm going to have to have a regular prayer time. And I'm going to have to do all this. You're just talking to God. He's around any time. You drive in your car alone, have a conversation. You know, uh, I'm, a, I'm a talk out loud person anyhow. So if you catch me talking to God out loud, oh well, I talk to myself as well. Um, but that's all it is. And that's all it was for me. I wasn't like, okay, I've got to make sure I have more prayer times so God can help me through this. I mean, all I brought was brokenness to God. 
And all I gave was not shutting down. It was just obedience, a response. Okay, and, and then it was just, I, I talked and I prayed. Um, and in the course of that, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't notice any change. Um, but again, as I look back, a tremendous change occurred in my life. And, and it, it reached the point where I knew at the core of my being that I was very lovable, that God loved me. And that I was a I was a real genuine person who could love and be loved. Now, some not everyone doesn't mean I doesn't mean I thought everyone loved me, right? Oh, I'm wonderful now. Everyone likes me. Uh, again, it was just an inner transformation where I went from really perceiving myself to not being lovable to knowing that I was lovable and that God loved me, uh, and it transformed at such a deep level it's inexplicable. Uh, I'm aware that the, the kids are upstairs, and, I'll, and some of you are probably thinking, well, just tell us more, and, and some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, my kids are... Um, I'm, I'm going to wrap up here uh, because I think uh, this gives us a sense of, you know, I'd love to tell you some of my own... God's got me on uh, currently a, a deep journey now as I'm trying to be obedient with Him. and uh, So it doesn't ever stop. It's not like I did that, and now my life's been wonderful ever since. But I've never once had to struggle with my lovability as a person. Now, I've got an amazing wife, and I haven't told the story of that, and got great kids, uh, but you can't hang your life on that. And I believe when I, you know, to, to go back and look as a father at that, uh, you know, that my girlfriend's father who said you can do better than him, I, I can almost guarantee that a, a, he saw a, a scarred person who needed her love in order to feel loved. And that's not a healthy way to, to live your life. Uh, to depend. You need other people love you to, to then feel better about yourself. It doesn't last. It, uh, it just doesn't work. And so God actually brought me through, saved me from that, and brought me through the point where I was comfortable with myself because I know he was comfortable with me. Um, you know, and then it all falls from there. Now, would I be devastated if my wife said she didn't love me? Absolutely. And so don't announce that today. <laughs> um, of course. Uh, but that's what I'm trying to convey to you is at a very deep level. Uh, and so how do I deal with my scars on a regular basis? Knowing, you know, I get on a bus, people see you, you walk in an elevator, people see you go in a grocery store. You know, it's, it's obvious every day. And I don't walk around going, oh, but God loves me, God loves me, God loves me, it's okay, God. I, I don't feel that. And, and how did I do that? Well, I didn't. All I did was give brokenness to God and say, okay, I'll follow you. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it will take. It's really hurting right now, um, but I'll follow. Okay, and out of that, God made uh, something broken whole. Now, I, I don't claim I'm perfect, and my family will attest to that on multiple accounts. Um, but I know I serve a perfect, wonderful, amazing God. And, and, and I, what I want to convey with you more than anything else is the reality of this God that we serve. If you don't know it, Dig deeper and discover it. If you're going through pain and struggles, give it to God. Just give all of that. You don't, you don't even have to face it uh, on your own. Just give it away, and it doesn't mean it, it's an easy road. Sometimes saying, I will follow, is painful. Uh, and we're going to end with uh, that song in just, just a minute. It's been sung at the, you know, the church here. I was told it's sort of like a, uh, a theme song for the church on, on its journey. And let me encourage you, don't ever forget that part. I mean, it's easy to sort of have that as a theme song when you're, you're you know, there are only 11 people, and I, and I love that story and, and, the, and the faith journey. You know, what was it, five years between uh, talking about this land and actually finding that, that you're able to get, I mean, that 
sort of journey is, is a difficult one to go on and, and saying I will follow and praying that to God and not knowing where his lead is, is, is um, difficult to do. But it's easy to get in a place like this and go, this is an amazing building. We don't need this building, right? And we need to remember that. What we need is God. It's a great place. It gives our kids a place to go. We have a place for brunch. Eventually, the kitchen will be functioning. We'll be getting hot brunches. And that's all great. But ultimately, we need to strip that away. All the things we carry inside, all the things externally that we think are valuable, just let them go. Because God is enough. And I hope that in, in your own journey, you discover that and you learn that. And so as we sing the song, I, 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 I ask that you make it your prayer. Uh, if you're able. If you're not, just let it go for a while because you, you may want to think about it. Um, but again, here it talks about it's from Ruth. You know, where you stay, I'll stay. Where you move, I'll move. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's not rootless. It's completely rooted uh, in a being who cares about you at every level and who knows what's best for you, even though you think that what you want right now um, is what's best for you. And I found that in my own life. I trust you do in yours as well. Thank you. <clears throat>